Borison, Finn Borison, 1-1. Alfred Finn Borison with Iceland's maiden World Cup goal. And the dream lives on. He's got support here from Lozano. Cuts it back inside, it's Lozano! It's 1-0 Mexico! And the man who's shone through the qualifiers has lit up the opening game in Group F. Trippier's out, Swigger. Maguire Kane has stolen it at the death. That's what he's there for. A pile of English joy. The last window of opportunity for Germany to earn a victory here. Kroos will go for it and score. An inspirational moment from Tony Kroos. A brilliant ball from somebody. They've got their goal. Argentina lives on. What a moment here. Argentina have taken the lead for the second time on the night. And those were only a few. I'm Will Fowler, and this is a special Sporting Report Daily World Cup Edition podcast. No Joe today, unfortunately, but we do have plenty of highlights and some special guests to discuss all the drama of the past two weeks and what drama we've seen, right? Germany failing to escape their group. Argentina squeaking through thanks to Marcus Rojo, not Lionel Messi. Brazil, Colombia, Spain, Portugal, all relying on that last match day to qualify. I mean, we've seen hat tricks. We've seen missed penalties by some of the biggest names in international football. We saw just how impactful home field advantage can be since Russia qualified onto the round of 16. And we saw VAR. We're going to break it all down for you in this episode. We're going to talk about surprises, disappointments, players in, out of form, intriguing knockout matchups, and the goals. I've ranked my top five goals of the group stage, as has Doug Heron. We'll get to Doug a little later on the podcast, but right now, let's take a listen to number five. Victor Moses, Ahmed Moussa! Fantastic goal for Nigeria! At long last, the Super Eagles take flight! At World Cup 2018, magnificent from Musa. Ahmed Musa of Nigeria comes in at number five thanks to that beautiful touch to control the ball, to bring the ball in inside the 18-yard box, and the composed finish past the Icelandic keeper, the first of his two goals that game. And now we'll head to Tyler Small. He's with us to discuss his biggest surprises and disappointments of the World Cup so far. Small, what's going on? Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me. You got it. How's the World Cup been for you? You've been watching a lot? I mean, as much as I can, pretty much. Well, yeah. it's not on 7 a.m. every day. <laughs> <laughs> you're, not, you're not waking up 6.30 in the morning to go down and watch France and Croatia or whatever? I mean, since our glorious USA isn't in it, it's <laughs> difficult for me to get up these early mornings, but it's still been an insane World Cup. It's It's been insane, and that's actually what we're going to talk about. I had We both come up with some surprises and some disappointments, right, for this tournament, and there are plenty of both. But uh, I want to hear what you thought. What are some of your surprises for the tournament? Well, pretty much what I noticed is from the three groups, I got three groups that were pretty much just been insane for H, F, and D. So my first surprise I had was Colombia. Okay. I don't know about you, but I never saw Colombia coming out of there. I was a huge fan of Poland going into this, and they wound up just being absolutely terrible. (laughs) So uh, Minya did really good. Quintero played some great. They had me. Both had a couple goals in this World Cup. I really thought they were a shocker out of there. Um, Mexico, out of the F group, oh, yeah. which took down Germany. And I'm going to talk about Germany in a second, but that's just been insane. I mean, any any team that can cause an earthquake because of their fan, that's the team. <laughs> yeah, that really. Surprises. Um, so, yeah. I thought that was insane. And the uh, last one I had for you is uh, Croatia. Okay. Group D. They played some insane. I mean, and that was, again, out of the Argentina bracket, which I know Argentina's still moving on, but there was still a little bit of a disappointment for me. I mean, Rebic, Modric, Rakita all scored against Argentina in a 3 nothing game. They, I, the rest of that group, I felt, wasn't really that talented, but still, taking down a team like that, pretty big for Croatia. Yeah, those are three really interesting teams that you bring up. I know, I'll go on my one, Colombia, I don't know if you remember back in 2014, but Colombia went on that the run, I, believe, I think, to the quarterfinal, and they lost to Brazil, but... It was all yeah, about where, yeah, how far could Hamas get them? And you, you're right in that group with Colombia, Japan, Poland, and Senegal. When I, pre-tournament, when I was looking at the groups, any one of those four teams could have finished top, and any one of those four teams could have finished bottom. And to put that into perspective, when I 
did my bracket. I had Poland finishing top, Senegal finishing second, and it ended up Polish yeah. Pol- Poland finishing bottom, Senegal finishing third. That 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 group is a complete toss up. Mexico, uh, yeah, yeah I mean, who could have expected Mexico to top the group, right? Showed up. It, it really was. You said it perfectly. I mean, anyone could come out of there. Right. I mean, that's just one of those crazy groups. And then Group D, it, it's it was the same thing. I mean, Argentina was largely expected to top, and then you look at Croatia, Nigeria, and Iceland. And Iceland maybe was a step behind, but they had as as much a chance to qualify as anyone else did, especially after their Euros trip. Um, I I'll think. You, I mean, Iceland played great soccer at the door. Oh, for sure. They held Argentina to a tie. I mean, they really competed in every single game. I was a little upset when they got eliminated. Yeah, I mean, it's always fun to to be watching the Iceland game and hear the thunderclap in the background. My thing with their thunderclap oh, is that yeah. anytime I hear it, like, it's just, even when you know it's coming, I just feel like something, like, supernatural is about to happen. Like, that's how powerful oh, and how yeah. potent it is. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I have no, no, I think it's, you know, I have no <laughs> from there, what's happening. What's um, I think it's such a cool story, and I've. Yeah, they did. Um, I think when you look at Croatia, Nigeria, and Iceland, Croatia was probably maybe a step ahead of the other two to qualify, but I don't think. I think if before the tournament started, you said that that Croatia would be going through as group winners and on nine points, people would call you insane. And then Mexico. Oh yeah. Mexico. I mean, what what an opener, right? A one nil victory against against the Germans, which ended up. That's huge. That's right. Especially for a team that uh, has perennially disappointed in the World Cup, it's been it's been duly noted by everybody on that Fox Sports desk that Mexico has never made it farther than the round of sixteen as of late, and so uh, they're they're in a good position too. They've drawn well, yeah, maybe I mean, not, but they've drawn Brazil in the round of sixteen. But I mean, they knocked off Germany, so who says they can't knock off Brazil too? Oh, you're 100 right. I mean, they definitely came in with a chip on their shoulder and. Trying to prove people wrong because they really have been underappreciated, underrated for the past couple of cups. Right. Um, let me toss one more team at you. This is my biggest surprise. I went with Sweden. Um, in the same group as Mexico and Germany. Them, actually, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think uh, that first of all, that group Germany, Mexico, South Korea, and Sweden. I think the biggest question coming into the tournament was can they succeed without the guy who's been basically the face of Swedish football, which is Latan. And. They showed it in Euro qualifiers. Nobody, still nobody believed them. And then they go, not only do they advance, but they top the group with Germany and Mexico. Um, yeah, they, they just, I think that was huge too in that same group. Right, and they continue to prove that they can be just fine without them. They've drawn Switzerland in the quarterfinal, or in the yeah. round of 16, I'm sorry. So who's to say they can't go even farther and make the quarterfinal? Because that's going to be a balanced matchup, Sweden and Switzerland. I think... Um, Pre-tournament, this was not a team that most people had in the round of 16. I think out of that group, it was probably Germany and Mexico. Um, so the fact that Sweden not only advanced but topped the group is my biggest surprise. And, and they almost came out at the top too. If they were, they almost took down Germany, and then they would have been perfect here because again, they killed Mexico for nothing. Right, but, and that's a good point you make is that their only loss came in that Germany game, and the only reason they lost that Germany game and didn't force a draw or a win is because of that. 95th minute set piece stunner exactly. from Tory Cruz uh, from Tony Cruz, yeah. Um, yeah. All right, so now we'll get into a couple disappointments. I know there are disappointments abound in, in, from this tournament, but what were your biggest ones? Uh, my biggest, again, as I said before, coming out of those same groups, um, Poland said it before. I really picked them at the top of my group H bracket. Um, Lewandowski, I don't even know what he was doing on the field. I. One of my favorite players going into it. I really thought he'd do something great. Did nothing along with the entire team. They really yeah. put up a poor performance. Um, this is another one. Um, they actually did move on Argentina, but nobody expected them to play like that. I think everyone who even knows how to touch a soccer ball would have picked them <laughs> at the top of that group. Um, Messi, of course, barely picked up a goal. He had a lot of opportunities, I felt. Uh, Rojo really didn't play well either. So that was, that was a shocker, I feel, and I feel like that's going to hurt them in the end. Now they have some tough games ahead of them. And, as everyone will say, Germany. Right. Defending champions can't get it done. Um, barely took down Sweden, which would have put them at the top. Um, Warner and Gomez just did not show up. They weren't in Russia. And 
that's pretty much it. I, there's not much to say about them besides them not stepping up to the big game. Right. I think the interesting one of those three that you mentioned is the team that went through in Argentina. Um, yeah. They, they're through, but they're through on four points. And you mentioned Messi chance after chance, and he just couldn't finish. Marcus Rojos, yeah. take away that the goal against Nigeria, that was the only reason that they went through in the first place. Um, and because yeah. they finished second and on top, they're thrust into that side of the bracket that's absolutely stacked, which is going to be a huge storyline going to the knockouts. They're in that same side as Uruguay, Portugal. Um, they're playing France in the first round. But on the other side, Sweden, Switzerland, Denmark. A complete yeah. missed opportunity for the Argentinians, I think. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, a lot of people don't really see it as a problem that they've just moved on, but still, again, tough games ahead of them. But they're really gonna have to prove themselves. Really gonna have to step up and change their game plan. Right. Um, my biggest disappointment, and I'm I'm very glad that we picked different ones, or else this would have made for a, a boring call. Right. My my biggest disappointment is Egypt. They didn't really. Um, they didn't have remarkably high expectations coming into the tournament. I had them pegged as right. finishing second in that group. Not only did they not finish second, not only did they not qualify, but they finished at the bottom. And not only did they finish at the bottom, but they finished at the bottom without recording a single point in a group with Russia and Saudi Arabia, which were by far the two worst teams in the entire tournament. They went on zero points. Now, I understand Salah being injured. That's a reasonable excuse for not qualifying. But the only game that he missed was the game against Uruguay, which they were largely expected to lose anyway. He started against Russia and Saudi Arabia, and they still lost both of them. They, like, they just looked abs- completely lost. And um, right. the, they they obviously lost the game against Saudi Arabia, essentially if you want to call it a walk-off goal, because it came at the very end of stoppage time. Saudi Arabia went ahead, and then they reset. After the kickoff, they blew the final whistle, but... I mean, that, it's just the nail in the coffin, isn't it? Saudi Arabia, on match day three, both teams are already eliminated. In 94th minute, you you go from, yeah. from having a draw to taking a loss. But, I mean, I was I was excited to see Egypt potentially go through because it would have set up a, a round of 16 matchup with Spain. And Salah would be playing Sergio Ramos, who, who famously injured Salah in the Champions League final. So, um, obviously, that didn't happen. But I think this is, is far and wide for me, the most disappointing performance of the tournament. All right, Small, thanks for coming on, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you soon. All right, love that. Thank you for having me. Well, that's Tyler Small. He made some great points, and in a tournament where so much has been flipped on its head, there are a number of teams you can choose, but definitely the one that stood out was, was Poland for me as far as disappointments go. Definitely another a squad that underperformed, but... When a world-class striker like Robert Lewandowski fails to find the back of the net even once, that's that's how you know you're going to have some troubles. We've got our next guest on the line, but before we get to him, let's take a listen to number four. Lingard, looking purposeful, gets it back. Oh, that is stunning from Jesse Lingard. And everything about this is just so filthy. That little combination and that little outside-of-the-foot pass there. So quick by Sterling, right in stride. For Jesse Lingard, one touch, doesn't get his head up. He knows where he's going with it. Curves right outside and back in. Oh, he even nods off the top of the crossbar. Yes, it's an Englishman at number four, but not the one you'd probably expect. It's Jesse Lingard for his beautiful curling shot that found the top right against Panama. And we're going to turn away from the group stage for a little bit now. We're going to look forward to the round of 16, and we've got Jonathan Banks on the line to discuss his most intriguing round of 16 games. Banks, what's going on, buddy? How's the World Cup been for you? Hey, Will, thanks for having me on. It's been awesome. Uh, you know, just been sitting there watching every single game every <laughs> single day. I did miss a few games because I went to the beach, but other than that, I've seen every single bit of action. So so you're one of the – you, like me, have been waking up at, at 7.30 every morning to sit down and watch, like, meaningless Group E games? Yep. You're right. not the only one. Um, yeah, my mom has come down when come down there and she went to work and looked at her disappointment of a son asking why he would wake up for soccer but sleep through the 8 a.m. classes at college. <laughs> and that's a great way to put it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so too. I was actually there was one time I think I was waking up. Maybe it was like for the France Australia game at 6 a.m. I woke oh, up. I woke it was up like that one too. it was yeah. I mean, it was like 5:45 in the morning. I had just woken up. I was like, I didn't do this once throughout my four years of high school. And here I am no, waking up like 5.45 to watch the World Cup. Like, what, My priorities are so out of whack. 
Yeah, it also messed up my sleep schedule too because I don't do anything during the week. But now I'm waking up at nine <laughs> Me too, thirty to watch these games. And I have nothing else to do. <laughs> I was talking about it with Small before on the earlier interview. Is I've been waking up at like seven o'clock every morning to watch these games. And like now, because of the what the way match day three was, and the way the knockout stages are gonna go, like they, it, their games are doubled up, and they started at ten o'clock. But I'd still be waking up at like six thirty because that's what my body was programmed as. So I'd be waking up and I'd just be doing nothing for three hours until the games kicked off. Hey, there you go. There's your time to do a ton of content before the game starts. Oh, perfect, perfect. It's my time to record <laughs> interviews. There you go. <laughs> Um, so this World Cup has been absolutely nuts, and maybe that contributes to why we've been so obsessed with it. But it's set up some some pretty crazy knockout stage games. So what I wanted to ask you is, which ones are you going to have a, an extra special eye on for when Saturday rolls around? Yeah, well, well, what I think is really interesting about this is if you go down and look at the eight matchups, um, I really don't know if anyone really could have predicted any of them. Yeah. Um, Brazil-Mexico, that's not really a matchup I want to address. I'm just saying Mexico got second place in the group, so that's a matchup most people could have predicted with Germany getting first in the group, obviously. <laughs> but as we know, that didn't happen, and the reigning World Cup champions went home, and I lost $10 on my World Cup bracket. <laughs> so that's great. But one game I do want to talk about first is, I think really is the big ticket game of this round, and that's France-Argentina. Right. Um, for reasons, both of these teams have not lived up to expectations at all. Um, I will give France credit, though. They did stick to the script, and they got the job done in the group playing very, very boring style. <laughs> they just didn't They didn't look the part. They have all these attacking pieces, whether it's Kylian Mbappe, Ousmane Dembele. I really thought this would be a tournament for Antoine Griezmann to really grab the reins of the world and become and solidify themselves as that third best player in the world behind Messi and Ronaldo. But he really hasn't done that. Um, Olivier Giroud's been good for France. He's really been spearheading the attack, but he hasn't scored. He's been holding up the ball well for France, and their midfield looked good. But it hasn't been anything dynamic. I mean, their goal difference is a plus two in a group of Denmark, Peru, and Australia. Right. There was a real battle for second place in that group, but he expected France to really pull away. Their defense wasn't as strong as advertised. Um, I don't know, this France team has just been extremely underwhelming, and they just haven't looked, they haven't looked the part in I think they got a good draw on this Argentina team, who is just absolutely out of whack. I mean, they do have the best player in the world, the little man Messi on the right. Um, I think that has a huge say in what's going to happen in this game. But Jorge Sampaioli, Argentina's manager, his tactics have just been... I don't think I've agreed with any of his team selections once, or right. remotely close. Um, I just think that I don't understand what exactly he's doing. He has so many talented players at his disposal, and yet he's playing attacking midfielders at wingback in a 3-5 game, a must-win game. It just it makes no sense to me, that Croatia game. I think those tactics made absolutely no sense. Um, but it's really interesting because both these teams have not performed up to expectations, and they know that. Argentina just snuck in thanks to Marcus Rojo, who showed he could finish better than their striker, Higuain, which, <laughs> I don't know, I, I don't know. I would play Aguero up top if I were him, and I would also have Icardi coming off the bench, but Icardi didn't even make the plane. That's a whole other discussion. But... <laughs> Regardless, I think Argentina, I think they're going to stick with the three at the back against France. And I think that that's going to make them very vulnerable to the incisive runs of Mbappe coming from the right, Griezmann coming from the middle. I mean, Antoine Griezmann did score five goals uh, in the knockouts. I believe it was in the Euro. So he really came to life when it mattered most for France. And I think that'll happen again. Um, I think this France team, like, I do want to say they have too many weapons, and they're all going to come together at the right time, which I do think will happen. But I'm just worried because I do think Messi is the best player in the world. And although he doesn't produce for Argentina like he does for Barcelona, he has this whole country on his shoulders. Um, I think that Messi really can provide a moment of magic. So this game is tough. I think I'm gonna. I think it's going to be a very intriguing one to watch. And we get it on the first day, I believe, with your right. Portugal, which is another good one. But I think France is going to get it here just by. Just by an overall better team, they have a, a more sound back line. Their midfield um, is more industrious. Argentina just like to go forward and forward. I think Everett played really well last game but for Argentina. But but based on Sampaoli's tactics, he's picked a different team every single game. So I have no idea who he's going to go with. But either way, I think it's going to be really interesting when I think France will pull out the win. Right, and that's that's one of the games that I was looking at for that exact reason. I mean, these Argentina's struggles this tournament have obviously been very well documented, especially considering that Lionel Messi's been at the center of it, so it's been a hot topic. 
France's struggles have been covered by makeup a little bit because they are on seven points, but you mentioned the plus two goal differential. Three goals in three games with some of the most prolific goal scorers in the world. And you mentioned Griezmann. He was my pick to win the golden boot before the tournament started. And he's got yeah, and he's got one goal and it was a penalty in the first game. And then uh, we talk about that game, and the winner is going to get the winner of Uruguay-Portugal, so things don't get any easier. And the winner of that game probably gets Brazil or Belgium, assuming another or uh, assuming that Mexico doesn't pull off another crazy upset of Brazil in the round of 16. Yeah. Well, how about that, though? Messi-Ronaldo World Cup quarterfinals, and we could really tell you that. Tell you what, that would be – I would take off work. I would take off everything to watch that game. That would, that would be something special. Oh, yeah. Especially the fact that – both of those players don't really have the supporting cast they have around them at club right. level. And just see them go at it, that'd be pretty special. That would be. Uh, one more question before we move on to the next game. And it's something I wanted to ask you about because I feel like you probably know more about it than I do. I'm a big a big fan of Paulo Dybala. Why is he not in the starting yeah. 11? That's a great question. And I was wondering that too. Um, I have a few theories on that. I think the first one is that he is a player like Messi um, in the sense where he's on his left foot, he's small. He's a mercurial player where he can just get on the ball and make something happen. And personally, I think the I think Argentina's logic is we don't want to play two of the same player at the same time. But what I'm thinking is when you have two players exactly like Messi, why not play yeah, them really. at the exact same time? It's a good problem to um, have. And I thought I thought that third game, I thought that Sampaioli's subs were absolutely baffling in that sense. Like I thought that ball had to come on right. and when they needed a goal. Instead of bringing on uh, Meza, who plays in Argentina, no disrespect to him or Christian Pavone, who did come on. I, I like Pavone. He's Pavone, good, Pavone made a difference to go in, defender, in that game. Go to the byline, cross it. But the problem is Argentina doesn't really have anyone ahead it since Higuain's just been so off form. Right. But just in general, I I don't know. I think that ball has to play a bigger part. Like He did come in in that second game against Croatia, but... I think that, I, honestly, I would play, if I don't play, if Sampaioli doesn't play that ball from the start, you've got to come on with the sub if they need a goal. Right, and not I to mention, that that's a lesson that they have. not to mention, if you're going to keep Higuain in the starting 11, Dybala and Higuain both play for the same team at club level. They both play for Juventus. Yeah, so, plays behind them. Yeah, that's right. chemistry right You've there. already got the established chemistry. Um, so that that was confusing to me. And we, men- we mentioned France-Argentina as the, the, the golden ticket of the round of 16. But what's a matchup of maybe not as top-tier teams, but still as intriguing for you? I don't know, for me, I think Sweden, Switzerland, if you want to go to the right side of the bracket, which is the weak part, per se, which I understand why people are calling it the weak side based on the magnitude of teams, but based on the quality that these teams have played with this tournament, I think that both sides of the bracket are right. equally as hard to get to. It's a World Cup, and these teams did well to get to the round of 15. But Sweden, Switzerland is a really interesting matchup, and I believe that's Tuesday at 10 a.m. for everyone watching here. Um, like, if you told me Sweden was going to top a group, that the groups that they topped, which was with Germany, with Mexico, with South Korea. Um, I, I personally, I thought I saw Switzerland, uh, excuse me, Sweden getting third in that group, uh, especially without Zlatan Ibrahimovic. But I think that Sweden is going to surprise because they don't have that star. I, Emil Forsberg, their number 10, he plays in Germany with the Red Bull Leipzig. He's a good player, he's a talented player, um, linked with the likes of Arsenal, like that level of team. Right. But I thought, I just didn't think Sweden had the quality to get through, but I was wrong. They play really well as a unit. They, like, Forsberg is their talisman, but they don't have that star that can, like, carry them to the top, like Zlatan when he played with them. They just play so well as a team. Their defense is organized. Um, I think Switzerland have more talented players. I think Jordan Shakiri is a very technical player. I think he can really make something happen when he's going against the defenders, especially Sweden's outside backs. Um, that's a challenge they haven't had with Germany and Sweden. Germany was all like, let's keep the ball in front of you and not move it as fast, which Germany usually moves the ball fast and very quick with a mission. If they had a player like Leroy Sané, maybe they could have broken Sweden down. <laughs> huh, where could they get one of those? Different discussion. <laughs> but I think Switzerland has better players than Sweden, but I think Switzerland is average in terms of the way they play together where they haven't really seen to figure it out. They figured out well enough to get past Serbia, which was a huge game in their group, and that right. was just a wonder goal from Granit Xhaka, which was a great strike, but that wasn't something that you really put in the game plan. It just happened. Um, and then Switzerland did play really well to um, get their draw against Brazil. But what I think is going to be really interesting about this game is that Switzerland, even against Costa Rica, Switzerland was a little passive because they knew they just needed a tie to get through. Yep. So they were just kind of playing for the result. So if you really think about it, all three games, Switzerland has kind of just played for that tie. Um, against Serbia, they opened up a little bit towards the end when they saw they could have gotten the winning goal. But Serbia really dominated that first half. 
Um, but against a Sweden team who doesn't really have that many weapons offensively, Ola Toivonen is more of your hold-up forward who isn't that fast, but he can do a lot of things in terms of keeping the ball for your team. Right. Marcus Burge has looked good up top with Toivonen, but and also Sweden does have some good technical players in the midfield. Seb Larsson plays for Arsenal, plays for Sunderland. He's a, he's not a bad player, but for Switzerland, what's interesting for them is usually they're the inferior team in, in the, they've been the inferior team in the World Cup so far. But now they're coming in as a, they know they have better quality players in Sweden, and it's just the term of who's going to show up and who's going to use them better. I think Jan Summers played very well this tournament. Don't forget about the penalty that hit him in the back of the head when it's in the net. That was a little bit of a fluke thing against Costa Rica. But I think it's interesting because these are two countries that, I mean, if you look at it, like, they could, the next match is Colombia and England under, which I think is also a very good game. Right. But, yes, both those teams are strong, Colombia and England. Um, let's just say England win that game against Colombia. Then they play Sweden or Switzerland. Both teams there will be licking their chops, um, whether it's Sweden slash Switzerland or England. Because England, uh, historically, as we know, never goes anywhere in major tournaments. Yep. Then they're looking at themselves seeing Sweden and Switzerland with a chance to get to the World Cup semifinal. Meanwhile, Sweden and Switzerland has players that played in England or used to play in England, and they're looking at this team like they can get to the World Cup semifinals by beating England. So that's just a really interesting part of the bracket. And most people are taking Sweden to win this game just based on their group form. Uh, I thought they played very well against Mexico, but I thought that was more Mexico shooting themselves in the foot than anything. Um, I think Switzerland has more quality in the midfield, whether it's Barami, Zakaria coming off the bench. I think Granit Xhaka is very good on the ball. I think he instigates some attacks well. Um, I think if Embolo starts for Switzerland on the left, which he should, he looks really lively against Costa Rica. But I think Switzerland will get the job done against Sweden and then possibly Colombia or England. Right. This game uh, is one that I had listed too. And it gives me the same vibes as like Greece and Costa Rica in 2014. I don't know if you remember that game, yeah. but two teams yeah, that. That was penalty kick. Right, two teams, and also two teams that weren't heavily expected to get out of their group in the first place. Obviously, Sweden in the same group as Germany, South Korea, and Mexico. Switzerland thrown in Group E with Brazil, Serbia, and, and Costa, ironically Costa Rica. Um, they, they essentially Greece and Costa Rica in 2014. They were playing with house money. I mean, they had gone as far as they were expecting to, and now they had a, a favorable matchup to make it to the quarterfinal. This is giving me the same vibe. I don't think. Anybody really anticipated Sweden or Switzerland, uh, heavily anticipated them making it the knockout. And emotions are going to be flying crazy just for that reason. Because, you know, one of these two nations is going to be in the knockout, in the quarterfinal, which is going to send their fans into complete pandemonium. It's just going to be all about who can capitalize on this quote-unquote golden opportunity. Because, I mean, you look at the, the list of 16 teams who are in the knockouts, and for Sweden and Switzerland, their opponent are... are De- most definitely in the bottom half. They d- they were lucky not to get matched up with like a Brazil or a Germany or, or a France. All right, Banks. Um, so we mentioned we mentioned France, Argentina. We mentioned Sweden, Switzerland. Is there like one more game that you've got your eye on? Yeah, I think one game that I think the whole world had their eye on also is Brazil, Mexico. I think that's a really interesting one because Brazil came into this as one of the World Cup favorites, um, and Mexico has really shocked some people, and then played like the Mexico that you'd expect coming with the team out of CONCACAF, as unfortunate as that sounds. <laughs> but Mexico comes into this tournament flying. They, they use their counterattack so well against Germany, beat them one nothing. Then they basically put South Korea to the sword early. That game was really no contest. And then they come and they just capitulate against Sweden. Yep. Um, Sweden, Sweden beats them 3 nothing. Mexico looks like they don't have a fighting chance. They look like they forget how to play. <laughs> and then Brazil has come flying. Neymar's been the most fouled player this tournament. Everyone's talking about Neymar. But Felipe Coutinho really is a star man here, and he's really instigating the Brazil attack. They just got such a strong team on paper that, I don't know, I find it really hard to believe that Brazil won't win this game. I think Chucky Lozano for Mexico has been very good, very dynamic in the attack on the wing. I think Mexico's midfield has been strong, but against Sweden, they looked really vulnerable. Yeah, um, that's, what, that, that's what makes this really interesting. Also, if you remember... Mexico lost uh, to the Netherlands in the last World Cup on an 88-minute penalty, which with VIR, Arjen Robin probably, it probably would have been ruled that he dove. Yep. So Mexico might be feeling that they want to get the result against the big team again. So it's just a really interesting matchup for a lot of reasons. Mexico hasn't gotten out of the round of 16 in forever. I think it's been like the last eight World Cups they've gotten to the round of 16 and <laughs> not done anything. Meanwhile, Brazil has their set set, has their set set excuse me, wow, that was a weird one, on something <laughs> higher. And I think that they will be able to do that because after this, the Brazil-Belgium game in the quarterfinals might be the game of the tournament. That, that would be awesome to watch. Um, so three, those are just three of the <clears throat> the biggest round of 16 games. If I 
know you like I think I do. You and I both will be watching all eight, though, right? Yes, definitely. And, and all seven after that, including the third place game. Yeah, the third it, place game doesn't get enough love. Really. <laughs> all right, Banks. Thanks for coming on, bud. Yeah, thanks for having me, Will. That's Jonathan Banks. He's he's really our soccer guy at Sporting Report Daily. He's a guy who played soccer in high school and just loves the game through and through. And you can tell whenever he talks about it, just very passionate, very knowledgeable. And one game that's intriguing to me that we failed to mention is that Spain versus Russia game. Now, I know on paper they seem like two sides that are vastly apart, but I mean, Spain, like every other top team in the tournament, they don't exactly look like their best form, and we already know what Russia can do when they have that home crowd behind them. So definitely another intriguing game to watch. In a bit, we'll get to talking about top individual performances, but first, here's number three, the top five goals. Modric. Now he'll unleash one! Sensational goal from Luka Modric! And surely now, Croatia's golden generation are on their way to the last 16. Well, you heard it in the call. It's the goal that all but secured Croatia's advancement to the knockouts. And, of course, it came off the boot of Luka Modric. Just a stunning curling effort against the group favorite Argentina that not only put them ahead 2-0, but what I think probably sparked a fire inside every Croatian player and got them thinking that we can we can go far in this thing. And they ended up snagging a third goal later on against Argentina, and they topped the group on nine points. Um, definitely an interesting team to watch going forward, especially with the round of 16 draw against Denmark, which is definitely a beatable team for them. Uh, speaking of Modric, we've got Andrew Myers, a good friend of mine on the line, to discuss our top three players of the tournament. Andrew, what's going on, buddy? You've been watching as much World Cup soccer as you can? I've watched as many games as possible. As you know, I'm a big uh, soccer nut, as you are. I haven't been able to watch every game, but I watch when I can, and I enjoy it. It's definitely been the craziest World Cup that I can remember. I don't know if you were watching the um, their their post game in Red Square yesterday, but like Alexi Lalas was calling it the best World Cup of the generation. I'm like that's that says a lot. Yeah, definitely, and it's it's I think it's kind of ironic that at least for us being uh, Americans in the U.S. now making it this being like one of the better tournaments ever, right? According According to Wallace, I mean, it's just kind of fun. <laughs> like, it might be that's like, like, it's because we're not out, we can enjoy, or because we are out, we can enjoy it more. You know what I mean? Because we're not, like, so constantly focused on how the U.S. is going to do. We can just sit back and, like, yeah, watch 32 yeah. other countries. I don't know. Definitely. What we did, our segment was we both made top three lists of the best players in the tournament. So, I'll let you go first, three, two, one, and then we'll see how ours line up. But who did you have? All right, so, um, number three was... A bit of a toss-up for me because I had one locked in, and my number two player I, I was pretty sure about, and I looked at the stats and I locked him in too. So number three was a bit of a toss-up with so many good players so far. But I'm going to go with the Croatian. I'm going to go with Luka Mazuric. Okay. He's got two goals so far. His goal against Argentina um, was pretty nice, just outside the box, fires it in the bottom corner. But the way he just creates plays for the Croatians, I think they're the most surprising team in this tournament so far. I mean, they won all three games. They're, I think they're a dark horse to win this thing. But Modric and Rakitic in that midfield, I mean, they're just both tough to stop. If you stop one of them, the other one just goes off. So it's really tough to stop both of them. But I think Modric, just the way he's creating plays for Croatia and scoring goals for them, I mean, he's going to be a tough man to stop in the knockout stages. Right, and, and you mentioned how surprising they have been. I don't think it's a surprise that they've gone through, but the fact that they're on nine points right now, especially in that group, I mean, yeah. it's it was hard to picture before the tournament, but then you look at their starting 11 now and you mentioned Modric and Rakitic, but they also have Perisic and Mandzukic up top, and they're definitely a dark horse, especially because they have a, a decent draw in the knockout stages with um, who finished second in Denmark. They're playing Denmark in the first round, which is definitely winnable. Dark Horse coming into this one, definitely, and uh, I mean, they are a talented team, there's no doubt about that, but I think, like you said, the way they played in the group stage, winning all three of their games, jumping out to a hot star, I mean, it, it's kind of crazy to me. So, mind you, just three. I guess I'll I'll do my number three now, unless you want to do your 3-2-1. No, no, we, we can go back and forth, I like that. Alright, perfect. So, I was back and forth. I had four. I had a, a set-in-stone top four, and 
any one of them could have been one or two or three or four. But at number three, I went with Felipe Coutinho because he's only scored he's only scored two goals all tournament. But if he doesn't score those two goals, Brazil is out. Brazil has the same fate as Germany. He scored in the opener against Switzerland in the first half, and that was their only goal. Which right. which earned them a point, and then he goes and against Costa Rica scores the the first goal of the game in stoppage time in the second half. So, Coutinho was my was my number three. He hasn't put up big numbers, but when he has scored, it's been in high leverage situations. His pass to uh, Paulinho yesterday. Oh my gosh, that was that incredible. Was, that, was, that was a beautiful find. And like, <laughs> watching the replay, Paulinho he just snuck behind. There was four defenders right in front of yeah. him, and just flicks Coutinho it over. Coutinho just played the perfect pass. Beautiful finish. He's the new Barcelona man. Yeah, I mean, Barcelona, the rich keep getting richer, you know? <laughs> All right, so you had Modric, I had Coutinho. What was your number two? All right, number two, I'm going to go with my Chelsea man, the Belgian captain, Eden Hazard. Kind of like Coutinho and Modric. He's not scoring a lot of goals. He did have two goals against Tunisia. But, I mean, you know, it's Tunisia. What are you going to do with that? <laughs> and... Yeah, and the assist against Panama to Onukaku's goal, which I thought was just a phenomenal find as well, which I see a lot when he's playing with Chelsea. But the big thing for Hazard for me is the hidden stats, you know, like the uh, the touches and the created chances, right. things that people don't really see a lot. He's done it year in and year out with Chelsea. And even when he was super young playing with Lille over in uh, France, he he's done these things where, you know, a lot not a lot of people do. And... His first couple of years at Chelsea, people were saying he was the third or fourth best player in the world behind Ronaldo and Messi. Right. And I don't know, I don't know if that's the case per se, but I mean, he's a phenomenal player. And coming into this tournament, he knew what he needed to do because Belgium is a heavy favorite. They're, this is their golden generation of football, and they haven't been able to produce in big tournaments. You know, getting knocked down the quarterfinals of the Euros in 2016. And the quarterfinals in the World Cup in 2014. This is their big moment here in Russia to really make a name for themselves. I took them to win the tournament coming in, and they're playing pretty well so far. I mean, they haven't played the third game yet. They played it later today. But I mean, Hazard, just the way he just creates plays for that team, he's putting them on their back. And I can honestly see them fighting for a final spot. Right. I mean, he wears that captain's armband for a reason, right? You look at their starting 11 and the Courtois and goal and De Bruyne and Lukaku, and there's so many, so many different players to choose from. And, and to wear the captain's armband on a squad like that, like it, it says something. And they're definitely fun to watch, especially in the first two games. And England later today is going to be a great one. So my number two, maybe it's boring. I don't know. But when you record a hat trick against Spain, you've got to be in the top three somewhere. So my number two is Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, He's, he's got to be in the top three with the way he's played. And sure, you can argue one of his goals a penalty, one of his goals a set piece, and he missed a penalty in the third game. But he, the reason that they even recorded a point against Spain is, is solely because of Cristiano Ronaldo, right? I mean, yeah. a hat trick against one of the best teams in the entire world, including a goal in the third and a goal in the 88th minute. Like, he's the spark plug for that Portugal side. I don't think anybody would be surprised by that statement. It's Ronaldo and 10 other Portuguese players. He's definitely probably one of the only reasons that they've qualified, and he's he's my number two. Yeah, but he's actually my number one. He's still my number one. Thanks for that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, there's not much where you can say for him. Four goals so far in the tournament. Didn't miss a penalty in their final group stage match, but and he might have honestly could have, should have been sent off maybe, but we'll save that for another day. But... I mean, coming into the tournament, I think the big thing for Portugal was can Ronaldo get some help? And I mean, they have a pretty solid squad. I mean, they have solid players around Ronaldo. But, you know, when the bright lights are on and when that whistle blows and they start playing, I mean, it, it honestly just seems like a one-man team again. It's, it's tough for Portugal, I guess. Tough for Ronaldo. He's played every minute so far. But he's through the group stage, something he didn't – or he's through the knockout stage, something he didn't do in 2014. Right. So I'm sure he's happy about that. And uh, we'll see what happens. Anything can happen when he has. And uh, right, the they've, best player in the world. They've got pieces around Ronaldo, but you, like you said, once the lights go on, it's it's everyone's looking for number seven, wearing the armband. Yep, absolutely. So my number one, you mentioned Hazard. I'm going to go with his teammate Romelu Lukaku. Now that's kind of a surprise. Yeah. He's got four goals right now and the thing you can say about Lukaku that you can't say about Harry Kane who by the way is my number four as maybe as a biased Spurs fan but you can't say about 
the thing you can say about Lukaku and you can't say about Harry Kane or Cristiano Ronaldo is that all of his goals right now, none of them have been from set pieces. They've all been from open play and they've all been in like in the flow of the game, which I think is something that goes underrated, but hasn't scored a penalty, hasn't scored a set piece. And all four of his goals have been really pretty finishes. Belgium is steamrolled through group trees to G so far. I mean, yeah, Tunisia and Panama, fine, but his finishing, he said two one-on-one with the keeper and just flicks it a foot, two feet over the keeper. Like that's a composed finish. And when you have a guy that big and that strong, it's seeing somebody who can finish with that kind of class is not very common. So I think he's one of the underrated spark plugs of the Belgium side, despite him playing all the way up top. I think um, like Hazard, like De Bruyne, who for some reason is playing almost on the back line this tournament, but we're not going to get into that. He's he's one of the guys that that Belgium side turns to, and he's been the reason that Belgium is qualified, I think. That's my three, Coutinho, Ronaldo, Lukaku, with Kane on the outside looking in. But honestly, you could pick anybody. There are five, ten guys that you could pick, and nobody would be upset. Yeah, there's definitely been a lot of top performers. I mean, like we said, to open up this World Cup has just been absolutely nuts. And now the group stage is winding down, and we got the round of 16 starting up on Saturday. I'm as hyped as ever. I'm ready to go. But I mean, have you seen that left side of that bracket? I mean, it's like that thing is just absolutely loaded. It's it's like watching Big Ten, ACC, Big Twelve schools, and on the other side, it's like the MAC. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just looking at it, I mean, Spain is like the only team on the wild well, crush, I guess, on the right side of that. Yeah. That, like really, has a shot at going all the way. And, and it's, the side, it just loaded with the it's like what France, Argentina, Brazil, like it's insane. Um, before we go, I know you do your own podcast for your for your site, guys being dudes. I'll give you a quick thirty second one minute plug if you want to throw that in there. Thank you, sir. Uh, yeah, I've been lacking a bit on the podcast this past week. I'm a little disappointed in myself, but I will have a uh, round of 16 preview out hopefully tomorrow. It will definitely be out before the game start. Uh, I think the first game's at 10 on Saturday. So it'll definitely be out by then. Hopefully I'll get it out by, you know, dinner time tomorrow. But uh, I think I'm going to have a little bit of a unique look through it. I think I'm going to rank the games by watchability. Okay. So I'll really have to look in depth and, uh, see which games are i'm sure a lot of the games on the left side you know europe portugal france argentina those games are going to be at the top of the list but it'll definitely be a little bit of a unique piece so uh look out for that one you can follow us on twitter at gb dudes or just go to our website guys being dudes 23.com all right sounds good thanks buddy all right thanks Will. well that's andrew myers again if you want to check out his stuff you can check him out on twitter at gb dudes and his website, guysbeingdudes23.com, should have a podcast coming out shortly, if it's not out already at the time that I'm recording this. Um, and it's always so difficult when you're tasked with coming up with a list of only three guys, because especially in a tournament like this, there's always so many that deserve recognition. Obviously, we mentioned our list, but someone that didn't even go mentioned was Denis Sherachev uh, from Russia. He scored two goals in their opener against Saudi Arabia as a sub, by the way, and then tacked on one or two more as the tournament progressed. He's been one of the real reasons that Russia's through the round of 16. Obviously, Harry Kane, I mean, you can argue how many of his goals have really been legitimate, seeing that two of them were penalties on other players, and one of them was just a Ruben Loftus cheek shot that flicked off the back of his heel, but five goals is five goals, and he's leading the entire tournament in goal scores so far, so that deserves some recognition. Maybe even a guy like Fernando Muslera, the Uruguay goalkeeper. I mean, Uruguay is the only team who has yet to give up a goal this tournament, and he's been the starting goalkeeper all three of those games. So definitely a bunch of a bunch of worthy, worthy players. But when you've got to come up with a list of only three, it's really got to be the cream of the crop. So thanks, Andrew, for coming on. We've got one more guest to hear from. Doug Heron's going to come on and give us his top five goals in the tournament. But before that, we'll go back to my top five, and this is number two. Marcelo's cross. Put it away. Fired back in from distance, in off the post. What a goal! Philip Coutinho. Look at the bend on this. It starts about five yards outside that right post and just nestles into that corner. Well, he's on my list of top three players for a reason, and that is one of the reasons the first of two goals he would score in the group stage, this one against Switzerland, that grabbed the eyes of virtually every single fan in the stadium that day. Just a superb curling effort that struck the post and went in, which, by the way, sealed the point for Brazil in that game. And who knows how Brazil's World Cup campaign could have changed if they hadn't grabbed that draw. So, Felipe Coutinho coming in at number two. And before we get to my number one, I welcome on Doug Heron to give his full list. I'm excited for this part. And uh, Doug, what do you think of the World Cup so far? 
Uh, it's been pretty interesting. You know, I've, I've been I haven't watched a lot of it, but I've been thoroughly enjoying the highlights and everything. Yeah. And some of these goals have been pretty amazing. So. Well, that, this group stage has just gotten very interesting. That is the perfect segue into what we're going to talk about. I know I've I've already given my five through two, but we're bringing you on. You're going to give your top five. So mm-hmm. let's hop right into it. What's your your number five goal of the group stage? My uh, number five goal of the group stage was um, when the Nigerian striker Ahmed Musa scored against Iceland in the 49th minute. Um, he received a sloppy cross in the box and absolutely controlled the ball perfectly in the air. And as it came down, just beautifully struck it right in the back for that. Perfect. I, I, because of the absolute control that he had, I didn't think he was going to do that. And I was absolutely blown away by it. And that, I so. believe that was his first of two goals that game. His second one wasn't nearly as flashy. It was more of an open net than anything. But um. Yes. He, um, he, in the second goal, he moved around the goalkeeper and shot the ball between two Iceland defenders to score a second goal against Iceland, which right. is more than Portugal and, I'm sorry, which is more than Ronaldo and Messi have scored against Iceland. <laughs> when they played, so. so I think it's confirmed Ahmed Musa best in the world, question mark? Very true. He's in the conversation. He's in the he's up there. He's up there. He's in the Ballon d'Or conversation. Um, of course. All right, Musa number five. What's number four? Uh, number four is um, Son in the 90th minute against Mexico. Um, Son was uh, at the top of the 18 and dribbling around to see if he could find a pass. He eventually took a long touch and with his left foot set it beautifully and bent it around the famous Mexican goalkeeper uh, Guillermo Ochoa yeah that was that was a highlight real one especially uh i mean the game was essentially wrapped in a nice little bow for mexico at that point but a, a 90th minute goal no matter what the situation is is always fun to watch as like a some late drama and uh son of course is one of my spurs boys so i had a, a natural affinity towards that one um, of course, you <laughs> Musa five, Hungman Son four. What's number three? Number three for me was um, Diego Costa in the twenty-third minute versus Portugal. He beats uh, Pepe out for a header and starts to dribble up on the box with two Portugal defenders in front of him. Uh, he starts doing fake shots multiple times, and then as three more defenders rush him, he shoots the ball into the bottom left corner and scores a goal. Um, I found this interesting because it was just him up there. No one else came to help him until after he shot the ball. And then that's when people started running up. So, uh, it was amazing by Diego Costa to actually finish that because most strikers in the cup probably wouldn't have. So. Yeah, and that came in, that was on the second day of the tournament. That was at that Portugal-Spain game. Um, that yeah, came. That was, that was a crazy game. A, a, oh, insane was- game. And that one, that was one of the highlight real goals of that game, I think. I was, I remember I was watching it, and I, I was watching him try to get around two defenders. I was like, there's no way. There's absolutely no way. And then he makes one fake and cuts back to the right. I was like, there's no like, there's no way he scores this, right? And he just sends off a shot. I was like, all right, deflected. And then I look up, and it's in the back of the net. So I, I don't know how, but definitely worthy of the top five nod. Um, Musa five, Sone four, Diego Costa three, number two. Uh, number two for me was Felipe Coutinho versus Switzerland in the 20th minute. Um, Marcelo puts a cross in the box. The Swiss defender heads it out, goes right to Coutinho's foot. He takes one touch and then hits it with the outside of his foot. And the way that you saw it from a camera angle was that he just absolutely hit the ball out. But then all of a sudden, it just bends into the upper 90 the goal and goes in. And the first goal that Brazil scored in the World Cup, that was um that was the goal against Switzerland, I believe, right to secure a point for Brazil. Um, yes. Ov- yeah, overall, they that game. yeah. Overall, of uh, a, a underwhelming World Cup campaign, you can argue so far for Brazil with that draw, and then only beating Costa Rica on two stoppage time goals. But if there's one highlight to their World Cup campaign so far, is that gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous Coutinho strike. Musa, Son, Diego Costa, Felipe Coutinho, number one, Doug Haram, what is it? Uh, my number one's got to be Tony Cruz in the 90th minute <laughs> with extra time against Sweden. Um, 
Cruz and Royska had a free kick just outside the 18, all the way in the left corner. An absolutely impossible angle for anybody that hit. Tony Cruz passes the ball to Royce. Royce stops it. Cruz comes up, absolutely bangs it into the upper 90 of the right side of the goal to ensure Germany stays alive in the World Cup stage. I was going absolutely nuts. I was watching with my parents. We were going absolutely nuts. It was crazy that day. And then, you know, I don't even... I don't even know how to explain it other than it was absolutely crazy. <laughs> Absolute stunners. That's a good list. It's Musa at five, Hunming Sun at four, Diego Costa at three, Coutinho at two, and the very worthy Tony Cruz at number one. All right, Doug. Well, good stuff. Thanks for coming on, bud. Uh, no problem. Thanks for having me, man. Well, that's Doug Heron, and he threw an interesting list at us there. Obviously, Ahmed Musa and Felipe Coutinho not only are both on both of our lists, but on the same slot. Good to see as a Spurs fan, uh, Hungman Son getting some love. And that Diego Costa goal was one that I admittedly forgot about because it was overshadowed by Ronaldo's hat trick and everything else. But that was an absolute stunner. And it came so early in the tournament that I think it had everybody's eyes open. Of course, Tony Cruz, his beautiful set piece stunner in the 95th minute against Sweden, took the top spot on Doug's list. And now it's time to reveal number one on mine. Here is my number one goal of the 2018 FIFA World Cup so far. Well, Cristiano Ronaldo recorded the hat trick that game, but it was Nacho whose goal caught the eyes of the entire world. And... This goal just had everything, didn't it? The ball fell perfectly to him outside the 18. He runs up to it, strikes it with the outside of his boot, pings a shot off the woodwork, and finds the back of the net. And what really sets this goal apart for me is how composed the finish is. I mean, he hardly moves his body except for his right leg, which is striking the ball, and somehow gets everything behind it. And Oh, did I did I mention it was this guy's first career international goal? Are you kidding me? Like, that's that's incredible. Obviously, it's... It's hard to narrow down these lists to just five goals, and I'm sure Doug can vouch for me when I say that there are plenty of others that were eye-grabbing, just a couple that come to mind. Obviously, his number one, which is Tony Cruz's set piece against Sweden, was obviously being looked at for a long time. Ronaldo's free kick against Spain was incredible. Denis Sherachev, take your pick. I mean, I was I was looking at his second goal against Saudi Arabia, but he's had a great tournament. Christian Eriksen's goal against Australia was incredible, and... Just so many top-class goals to choose from, and what do you expect? It's the FIFA World Cup. There's going to be class, and there's going to be incredible goals. But in the end, Ahmed Musa versus Iceland, the first of his two goals, comes in at number five. Jesse Lingard versus Panama at number four. Luka Modric versus Argentina at number three. Felipe Coutinho versus Switzerland at number two. And it's Nacho versus Portugal taking home the top spot. That's going to do it for our show, but be on the lookout for more World Cup content as the knockouts progress. We will undoubtedly be producing more stuff. You can follow our Twitter at Sports at Sports Rep Daily, our Instagram at Sporting Report Daily, and check out our website at www.sportingreportdaily.us. I want to thank again all four of my guests, Andrew, Doug, Tyler, and Jonathan, and I'll link their social medias in the description below. And until the next episode, I'll say goodbye and enjoy the tournament.